Well, welcome to A to Z with Clint and Katie. And I'm excited about this episode because this season, E is for Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. I'm looking in, in my studio right now. I, as soon as I look to my right, I have probably the biggest poster in my studio, which I have several movie film posters, is my Eraserhead poster. I am a huge fan of David Lynch and a huge fan of Eraserhead. It's probably a top five movie for me. And I'm excited because I know that it was your first viewing. It was. I was talking to my wife, Isabel, about it last night at dinner. Did you watch it with Joe? No, I watched it this morning. He was in the other room. He was in the office writing. Okay. And uh, so it was like 6.30 in the morning, both drinking coffee in our separate rooms. And I, every once in a while, I'm like yelling out loud. And he's like, yeah. what's going on in there? And then he came in for a few minutes and watched part of it with me and then left again quickly. Well, we were laughing about it because I was like, I'm sorry to Joe and even a little sorry to Katie. Although <laughs> I'm not that sorry because I do feel like uh, the movie is a gift and I, I get, I understand what's troubling about a first viewing. It's not everyone's cup of tea. I showed Isabel, this is years ago, maybe 2014. I, sh- I really wanted her to watch it because, you know, you want the people that you love right, to, to share and things. Yeah. You want to share the crap that you like. Yeah. And she was being a good sport. She's generally a good sport about that Mm -hmm. stuff. But I'm also into some weird shit that she's not into. And so Mm -hmm. we watched the trailer. And the trailer that they cut in 1977, you know, trailers were a little different back then. It's just the scene where they're eating chicken and he cuts into the chicken. Oh, yeah. So the trailer is just that scene. Mm -hmm. There's no voiceover. There's no, they just Just show you five. It's just a clip of that scene to sell the movie. And it's almost like a, uh, it's almost a bat signal because if you're like me, you see that scene and you go, I have to watch this movie. Right. If you're my wife, you see that scene and you go, I will never watch that movie. <laughs> I am fascinated and excited to talk about this with you because I love and admire and respect you so much and also had huge feelings about this film. Mm-hmm. And and like I just am excited to dig into what you love about it. And tell you about my thought. I took notes the whole time. And like some of my notes, the first like 10 notes I took, I just read back and it sounds like a weird poem. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, I I, I, and it's very fresh for me because I watched it a few hours ago. You know, so it's been sitting with me, but I'm really glad I watched it in the day and not I didn't I'm glad I didn't watch it last night because I was going to watch it last night. And I'm glad I didn't do that and then have to go to sleep and sleep with all of that imagery in my mind. So I needed a hug after. I was like, Joe, I was like, I need a hug. I need you to hug me right now. I haven't finished the movie. I need a hug. And so he had to hug me and then I felt better. Well, that's the, it's bringing people together. See, it's, it's it, uh, there's there's multiple layers of rewards with this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's, you know, described by David Lynch as a dark dream. You know, it's mm-hmm. a very dreamy uh, landscape and. It's, you know, it's his first movie. I mean, I think some of the details of how it was made would be interesting to you. So I have the Criterion Collection edition, which comes with a lot of like extra little goodies. So I I watched the film yesterday. I sent you a little screenshot. That's right. And I watched all the bonus stuff too, which I've seen before, but it's like a 90 minute documentary about the making of the film. Wow. Several little cool little bonus features. I love the Criterion Collection stuff. If they're listening by any chance and they want to support the podcast and send me some free films. No problem, Mo. Just uh, email us at a to z Clinton Katie at gmail.com. There we go. And what's interesting about this conversation we're about to have is you are in the film industry. You're in a mm-hmm. huge, huge international horror film. And yet you mm-hmm. had never seen this movie. Mm-mm. And I'm just a guy in Nashville who writes little songies. And it's one of my favorites. So I think 
we're going to be able to represent both ends of the spectrum here. Because this was maybe my 10th time seeing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, maybe 10. Wow. But, but I'm talking, my, I first saw it in 2007. So, you know, 15 years ago. So, so you've had a long talking, relationship with this film. Even considering, though, that it's my top in my top five and that I love it so much. And I've only seen it 10 times in 15 years. So what does that say? You, you got to have a break. You got to yeah. let, let it digest. You can't just have that thing on background when you're cleaning the house or something. It's a movie that kind of washes over you and you have to be in a really specific mood. The last time I saw it was two years ago on the tour bus. So tour buses are, you have a front lounge where everyone hangs out. Then you have all the bunk areas. Then you have a back lounge, which is a little smaller, but it's couches and a TV. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wandered back there on a long night drive and Eraserhead was on TV, somehow on television. And I put out the bat signal to my dudes in my band. I said, hey guys, everyone make a sandwich, make a popcorn, make a cocktail and come back here and let's watch Eraserhead together. Zero percent of my bandmates took me up on that. No one came. And I ended up laying in the back lounge watching the movie by myself on the bus. And that was two years ago. That was my last viewing before yesterday. That is, a, I, I would feel so, I felt discombobulated and upset watching it with coffee and a really bright, sunny LA morning. I cannot mm. imagine the experience of watching that, first of all, alone, but in a darker place and away from my like place of safety which is home <laughs> I, like the 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 all of those three points meeting would create some sort of shattering of my psyche i think perhaps well i carry a place of safety with me wherever i go in my heart you are healthier than me that's amazing well i don't know about that well <clears throat> it is his first film i think i was watching it and i, I just definitely want to dive into it but just real quick on the front end it took him five years to make he was an art student. It's his first movie. And they it took him five years because they would run out of money. And then they would have to stop until they were able to raise money. Like the actors would come back each time? Yeah. Wow. Everyone was, everyone was like super committed to the project. John Nance and all the people uh, were just super committed. It was a really small. It was basically just a bunch of art students. Yeah. Who were at, the, uh, at AFI. Wow. Interesting. And they really believed in David Lynch. You know, they were able able to just give him all the resources of the school. But, you know, in terms of raising the money, they were just doing it kind of piecemeal. For people listening who maybe aren't familiar with the film, like I wasn't, do you think there's value in giving them like a synopsis about like what we watched? Can you even do it? What would you even say? I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's described by it's described described by Lynch as a dark dream. He actually the um, the Criterion Edition comes with a, a really cool book. And he does say this. He says he talks about it. it it's a world. He built a world. And yeah, I, for you sure. know, there's a lot. Of, the, the word, the phrase, world building, is getting used a lot because people think Marvel is like great cinema now. Somehow, mm-hmm. which I love the Marvel films for what they are, but everyone calls it world building mm-hmm. because fucking caped superheroes can can fly in between each other's worlds. David Lynch created this atmosphere. You know, it's almost like could the movie have been from the 30s? Yeah. Could it have been from the 60s? Yeah. Like, it's almost a place out of time. Yeah. And David Lynch says this, okay? He says, it was the world in my mind, a world between a factory and a factory neighborhood, a little unknown, twisted, almost silent lost spot where little details and little torments existed and people were struggling in darkness. They're living in these fringe lands and they're the people that I really love. He says, it's a world that's neither here nor there, Hmm. which I think is pretty apt. Makes me feel trapped. And it's about a man who does feel trapped. It's about mm-hmm. a man named Henry 
who is in a very industrial, bleak town. And he, I guess the basic synopsis is a, a woman that he's been in a relationship with, but seems to have parted ways with. After some time of estrangement, he finds out that she's pregnant and she's had a baby and the baby is his. So they're mm-hmm. to be married and they're raising this baby in his tiny little one bedroom apartment. And the baby is, uh, I guess we could call it a baby, but is it a baby? We don't know. And whatever it is, it's sick. And basically, I think the story of Eraserhead is Henry's fear of fatherhood, his coping with fatherhood, mm-hmm. and his his dark dreams to find his way through it. That would be the best way I could describe it. As I was watching it, I I was like, well, all of these people are doing things they think they're supposed to do because society tells you you have to do these things. But they mm-hmm. feel lost and trapped and everything feels strange and unfamiliar but they're going through the motions because that's what's expected and i feel like every character in that movie or at least the main ones do that you know like mm-hmm. you know the 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 mom is or the old grandmother mom is like making the older grandmother sh- you know shuffle the salad not because it's helping her but because she yeah. feels like she's got to take care of her mom the guy goes to the work the dad goes to work at the factory for 30 years even though he loses his arm or whatever yeah and he's like happy about it because he thinks he's supposed to be and like all of the characters have this like well this is expected so we do it but what are we really doing because look around we are all lost souls yeah it's a very doomed Ooh. feeling with all Ooh. of them yeah. Right. It is one of my favorite scenes when when Henry goes to meet the parents essentially. That was my favorite part of the movie. I mean, a favorite is a hard word to say, but that was that was the part of the movie where I was like the dynamics, first of all, I think it was the the I first my note says my notes in this part we've skipped pretty far in, but my note says, "Oh god, an old grandmother. Puppies feeding. This mm-hmm. old lady for sure emotionally abuses everyone. Oh no, another old grandmother." There were everywhere, every room, there was another old grandmother. But that, those dynamics, those family dynamics were so uncomfortable and and deeply like, there's a lot of trauma in that house for sure. And it was just so uncomfortable, but also I was kind of fascinated by it. Well, I I think what might be a good course of action is just to go through your notes and kind of use those as talking points. But I do want to say like, even another thing that I really love about this movie, revisiting it yesterday is the sound design. It's very, um, you, there's basically like a howling wind almost the whole time. It's these very industrial sounds when he's walking to the door. I mean, it looked like the fucking Wicked Witch from mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz's house. Mm-hmm. There's this smoke blowing in. It's like loud, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I actually remember our mutual friend, Bob Schneider. I remember talking to him about Eraserhead maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And I was like, why is it? Why does the movie sound like that? And I remember him saying just really plainly, and I think really like presciently, he said, that's the sound of the world. That's what the world sounds like. Hmm. And it's definitely a heightened, you know, heightened for effect. But yeah, it's like, what am I expecting it to be quiet? It's not quiet. When's it ever quiet in the world? The right. world is just filled with those sounds. And David Lynch somehow tapped into that. But And also your head sounds like that. Like how much noise is in our heads that we let get in our way of things, you know, of just of just noise that drags us down or that slows so us down. So many voices telling me how talented and attractive I am. <laughs> just maybe 20 to 30 <laughs> different internal you got voices. 20 to 30 whole personalities in there yeah. who, are, who are just there to build you up. And they I all sound it. like me. They all sound exactly like me. So yeah, I don't know what to sure. make of that. Well, okay. I mean... There is a part of me that wants to say to our listeners out there, which, hi, hello, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. I do want to say, maybe hit pause and go watch the movie 
if you haven't seen it. So maybe they'll have done that now. Maybe we're going to zip through the future now. And mm-hmm. all right, now you saw it. Now, we, now we, you've we, seen the film. We said enough at the first half to titillate you enough to go check it out. Now you've seen it. Now you're a changed person. Your life will now forever be divided into the two moments, uh, pre and post Eraserhead. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Well, so so I guess the best way to go through would be to, let's. So if you, I didn't know you were going to be taking notes. So you took notes. All right. Let's I didn't go know maybe I was the going notes. to it either, but I'm going to read the I'm going to read the notes um, that cover the the sort of first scene, if you I will. love that with his head floating with the the planet All of the stuff. Yeah, and you know, and these are notes as me just as I'm like thoughts that pop up so that I would remember. But here they go. In space with a moon rock on your head, is this where we go when we dream? Silent screams. We're all trapped, withering away. Alien baby escapes discarded into the darkness. Tall hair. Does anyone ever speak? Pocket protector. Finally, they speak. Okay. So, so you, you thought maybe it might even be a silent film. I didn't know what was happening. Or not I just a, was not like, a talkie, as they say. I was like, I, I mean, I knew they eventually they would talk, but I was like, when are, when are they, they going to speak? Oh, and then it was just, there were so many like, like, first of all, we're in space. And I did say, is this where we go and we dream? So if it's a dark dream, I guess he's getting his point across very clearly. Uh, and I did say an alien baby escapes, which I think is pretty, you know, on point. Well, a really interesting thing happens at the top that actually not a lot of people talk about because it kind of comes and goes. And I think it's so strange that our minds want to forget that we saw it. But there's a character called the man in the planet. Yeah. And he's sitting there. He's a, he's in the planet. They show you a planet and he's mm-hmm. in that planet and he's got these levers Mm-hmm. And he's covered in like barnacles and like sores yeah, and sores. It, it's a very curious guy. And that's mm-hmm. his actual character name is he's called the man in the planet. And he's looking out the window. He looks really sad. He looks like maybe he's God. Maybe he's an ancient being. Maybe he's in control of some shit. He, he sees Henry floating lost mm-hmm. and he pulls some levers, which releases the kind of sperm looking thing that splashes into the water and then you have then then the story begins so mm-hmm. you know was that the symbol of mary who's henry's partner former partner at this point mm-hmm. is that her being impregnated is that is that the start of the story i don't know but i love the man in the planet you see him again at the end mm-hmm. but i love him because um did you ever read lord of the rings no you didn't read the tolkien stuff well did you ever see the films sure so everyone knows those stories, right? But in the books, there's a character named Tom Bombadil. And he's not mentioned in the films because it'd be impossible to film him. But And he's only in the books a little bit. He's in the first book, Fellowship of the Ring. And he's this ancient being who lives in the woods. And he's actually the oldest living thing. And he's like super wise. And it's just an interesting character that they just sort of pass over. He just lives in that universe. He's not part of the story. And yet he might be the most important character in the story. You know, it's interesting is that I didn't take a note on him and I thought later like, wow, you I, you didn't take a note about him. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. And I just yeah. moved on. It was like so uncomfortable to see that guy because I thought, is he in pain? Is he alone? Yeah. What is he doing? How is he connected? I don't want to become him. Is that Henry eventually? Like what? what is that what Henry becomes? I don't know. Uh, it was very uncomfortable. Well, David David Lynch is really famously evasive about the meaning of his work which I love about him. I think a lot of great artists do that. I'm like too happy to explain all my work because <laughs> if anyone's interested in my little songies, I'm like, I'll tell you exactly what I was saying. The restraint of an artist to say, 
I know what it means, but I'm not going to tell your ass. It's up to you to figure it out. Bob Dylan is another artist I love who does that. And David Lynch, when asked about the man in the planet, basically he was, he was asked, how does that guy and that character relate to what we see for the next 70 minutes? Right. And David Lynch says, well, it's all there. He's like, it's all there really clearly how that guy relates. And yes, he's an art student. Yes, there's some pretension in that, but he would go on to make the, you know, he's the great living legend, David Lynch. So it wasn't a fluke. He wasn't just some stoner art student. Right. I think he really did have a vision. And I think he, I think it's actually true that that guy's character clearly relates to the rest of the story and that it is all in the shots, but I can't figure out what it is. (laughs) I don't know. But he claims it's there. Well, uh, yeah, (laughs) I would claim, I would claim the same thing if I had created a film and, uh, uh, you know, people didn't understand parts of it. Uh, and I'm not saying it's not there. I for, sure, I, you know, for sure, I've only watched it one time. I had to deal with this woman singing with cheek implants. Uh, there's so much yeah. before I get in back heaven. to the- Beautiful song, in by heaven. the way, in heaven. And then the light, the moment when the light, he touches her and the light happens. Um, speaking yeah. of light- I love uh, that, by the way. What a visually dark film. Absolutely. Now, we were saying earlier, like- don't make it well we were off we were off mike we were like don't make it hard for people to enjoy the thing that you create Mm -hmm. and i was so resistant for the first i would say half of the movie because it was so dark that i was like straining to look at what was happening because i wanted to really see it and then midway through i was like hey i'm not gonna suffer anymore and b if he wanted me to see it he'd show it to me so if i'm not seeing it then i'm just gonna let it go yeah yeah that that was a stylistic decision for sure Uh, that was like like they, you know, they meticulously lit the movie. They had two mm-hmm. DPs, Herbert Cardwell, who did the first like nine months, and then he split mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then a guy named Frederick Elms took it over. And Frederick Elms did uh, John Cassavetti's films. He he ended up doing other David Lynch films. He did Wild at Heart and uh, Blue Velvet, which Blue Velvet's another masterpiece. But, you know, I think they worked on lighting for like a year before they even started shooting. And all the the whole film is choreographed um, and heavily rehearsed. Hmm. So John Nance, everything that Henry does, all of his mannerisms, all of his like tension in his face and his his back is hunched, the way he would lay on the bed and look at the radiator, all of that meticulously rehearsed for months and months and months before they shot. It was almost like Hitchcockian in that way. I wonder as an actor if that is exciting or if you feel like you're just a a puppet. You know what I mean? Like, is there room for spontaneity? Is there room for finding the moment? Doesn't it feels like the moment is created in David Lynch's mind and then the actors are just like the 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 tools, you know? I think that's the case. And yeah, from from what from my research, I think John Nance, the actor, enjoyed. I think John Nance himself was very particular. And wanted to be rehearsed because mm. when you're when you're working with a director that's that has that much detail in their mind already about what they want, I would want to like if I was working for an artist that had like a really heavily detailed idea about what they wanted from a guitar part, I'd rather just rehearse it and get it exactly the way they want it. Right. But then there are directors who like Terrence Malick or someone who just sort of they're going to figure out what the movie is in the editing room. So Show up. shooting shooting is more about exploring. Right, right, right. Which is you know the, the world I come from. Yeah. Like theater, where you're Whereas finding it as you go. H- Hitchcock's deal was like he said the hardest part of making a movie was storyboarding it. Once mm. you once he storyboarded it, he just shot that. Mm-hmm. He would just shoot that in a row, 
Wow. Which he considered the easiest part. You don't have to really know how to tell a story to not screw that up and like film all that and then be done and be like, oof, we really missed this whole chunk. You know, you'd have to really know how to tell a story. That's impressive. In the uh, documentary, they actually show these like pages that David Lynch would draw where he would draw each. He would draw stills of like what they were shooting and then, you know, mark them out as he went. So Mm -hmm. the ability to sort of have that vision in your head is pretty remarkable to me. But, But coming back to the lighting. Yeah. I mean, they did all kinds of tests. They they tested paint, like even Henry's bed sheets. They, after they did some tests, they would they dipped them in tea and coffee to make them to make them darker. Mm. Wow. Like every everything. That's another thing about the film is like I get it. It's it's very collagey and dreamy and strange. These art students, but everything you see is hyper intentional. Right. Everything you see, they really wanted you to see. So that's why I do believe that the man from the planet. There are keys in there. Because you know how it is when you make a movie, like you're not just filming a bunch of bullshit. Like you're, you have something you're trying to get across really meaningfully, you know? Why do you think there are so many uncomfortable moments? And when I say, I mean, listen, there are uncomfortable moments like the chicken menstruating on the table, but I mean, like, like extra uncomfortable moments. Like um, he gets into the elevator and then there's just this unbelievably. First of all, he hits the button like 48 times in another part. But anyway, he gets in the elevator and then he's just there for so long. And then it, the elevator just goes up. Or when she's getting ready to leave and th- the, the movie suitcase. almost gets normal for a minute. It's like they've yeah. had an argument. I understand in a linear way what is happening between these two people. It's like, oh, I can breathe for a second. Okay, I get it. And then she comes back and I'm like, is she moving the bed? Is she sobbing? What's she doing? To- she's getting She's getting her baggage. Okay, now she's leaving. And there are so many moments like that where I don't know if it's meant to make me feel unsettled, to keep me on my like toes, to, to not let me get too comfy, or if it is part of the actual story, or if it's just like a weird nightmare thing when th- where things don't happen exactly the way they're supposed to, or I don't know. What do you think? I think that when you take it a little beyond what's, expected that's where there's interesting stuff there's this interesting i mean it obviously stuck with you it was obviously oh yeah a lot of it stuck with me i think a lot of i think a really good movie moves you either way like it Mm -hmm. moves you where you're uplifted and you feel positive you feel proud to be alive like a lot of movies do that for me and i think i might even prefer those movies but then Mm -hmm. you do have movies that a racer would fall into that wash over you and maybe your visceral reaction is you didn't like it but something about it really sticks with you. The worst thing you can say about a movie is that it was fine. Mm-hmm, or that like, sure. oh yeah. Or or you go, oh, I saw that movie. I can't remember a single thing about <laughs> right. it. I'm totally unaffected by it. Yeah. Well, it was inconsequential. It meant nothing. And maybe, maybe it was a nice time burning it down like with your, with your spouse or with your boyfriend or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then when it's gone, it's gone. And it doesn't, right. it made no, it had no consequence. Right. Had no effect. I think, and, and I say this with love, um, I think I hated this movie more than I've ever hated any movie ever. Wow. And I, and I, and here's, and because it was so uncomfortable and I, and there were times when I was like, oh God, you know, and Joe would be like in the other room, babe, what's going on? It exploded. I, I can't, you know, but I have to begrudgingly say I'm, I will remember so much of that film for probably forever. Yeah, And on some level, I bet David Lynch is like, she hated it more than any other movie. I got her, you know? And I'm like, oh man, he did get me. 
even though it was not a pleasant experience for me. But but there's so much of it that I mean, I yelled out loud a few times out of pure. I had nothing. I it wasn't like I was making fun of it on the couch or anything. I I was watching it and I had a reaction to it that was actually verbal. Yeah, because it was so uncomfortable. What was the last piece of art that elicited that from you? I mean, I think that's awesome. I can't. I can't remember one truthfully. And it's not like it's like super grotesque, like like um like gore porn, like you know like people like literally being you know Eli Roth films are people no, literally being tortured. It's not like torture chi- porn. Or a chick's no, no, face no, no, is no, being no, no, blowtorched no, no, no. out. No, it's it's not because that's like gratuitous and you see it all the time and stuff and it's like almost we're almost desensitized to it. This was disturbing. Yeah. Um, because it was the world was so uncomfortable. And I think when you. I think when you watch the film, I think if you, I think you're in that world. You can't escape it. You hear it again. The sound design is like so wild. I mean, you're just hearing these strange like sounds. I mean, maybe that's why those moments on the side were like the elevator or the luggage or whatever. It's like, it's like the whole thing is uncomfortable. You're not allowed to relax or feel safe or, or feel like you get it. You know, it's like, it really creates that that discomfort and that sort of off kilter, not not being able to be grounded. And then these moments happen that are so off putting for maybe an audience member, but also sometimes for Henry, like the chicken thing. First of all, poor guy didn't know how to cut a chicken. You know, I hate I mean, that idea of like having to cut a chicken in front of your ex-girlfriend's parents and like w- or whatever's happening there. Like, that's just like you could see his discomfort, which I felt so sad. And then he does it. And the poor chicken is like menstruating or whatever's happening on the table. <laughs> and then and then he's like, is anybody going to, we're going to talk about, we're not going to talk about this? Yeah. Okay. And and the mother, that was, she was my favorite. She was horrible. She, she starts like having a seizure or something and then she. They both did. Yeah. The girl has a, has a fit on the couch. And they never really explain that. The, the actress who plays Mary, who's Henry's soon to be wife. She goes on to say that when they were shooting that, she was trying to figure out what like what Mary's character was all about and that David Lynch would give her an ear infection that you can't see in the film, but he would like stop her ear up and because the whole vibe with her with Mary was that she was kind of sickly. Mm-hmm. Now, they never say any of that. I, I found that fascinating. Like, I didn't know if you had any interesting light to shed on that as a, a character development because I am just a movie lover. Now, I love movie movies maybe, maybe just a little more than the average person. But then they're like super cinephile, like crazy people. And I can't, I don't know that. But I'll like, I I read about movies that I like. I read about genres of movies I like. And I like to watch movies. But I don't know, when I watch Mary on the screen, I don't know about character development. I don't know what she had to go through to portray that. I just assume that actors do their jobs the way I do my job. But Hmm. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is the more I dive into it, and I think maybe even through my friendship with you, I have a lot more respect for how an actor brings something across yeah i i mean I, I would imagine that she probably has a really full that character is as full as you and i are as people or as close to it as she could get and you're only seeing the you're only seeing the bits that david lynch wanted us to see but that doesn't mean the rest of it doesn't exist mm-hmm. right you know? like that ear infection and, right like she may know she has an ear infection she may you know she may know all of these things um you know, the the mother, as she's, you know, making out with Henry in the hallway inappropriately, <laughs> may have a whole 
I mean, she has motivation for that, right? There's, there's got to be a reason why she's. And they doing never that really now. tell you, and they never tell they us. They don't right? explain it at all. But yeah. she's got a reason for it, and so that whole world is full on the inside. And so I think when actors do their jobs well, it's when you don't have to know the reasons; you just believe it. I, but that mom, I can't. But I can't stop thinking about that mom. She yeah, was so me too. like, a, like, like emotionally abusive. She clearly wore the pants in the house. There's so much darkness there. That freaked me out. I felt sadder about her than like, I didn't see her as villainous. I I thought when she's like tossing the salad in the sink, she seems so trapped Mm -hmm. and so resigned. And her, her mom, her mom, who's a lady sitting in the corner is obviously like comatose basically. Mm -hmm. So you just sort of, you can sort of see a window into her, like what her life's like. She has to take care of her mother. She's trying to get her mother to just go through the motions. Maybe mom helps with dinner. She's literally moving her arms and then she helps her light light a cigarette. And you just see this like tired woman. But also like that goes back into like everybody doing things because they think that they're supposed to do them. And the different generations, like you've got the young girl, Mary, who who's sickly, who's, you know, about to have this baby or just had this baby and who's being forced into this relationship. She's the most alive of the bunch, you know, of those females but she's not headed down a great path. And you've got the one generation up, the mom who's like capable of making dinner and capable of like functioning, but is clearly repressed and sad and abusive and, and you know, all these kinds of things. When I say abusive, I mean like she's unkind and she's, you know, she's not healthy. And then you've got the generation above who's just, like you said, you know, just silent, can't move, you know? Yeah. So it, it shows this sort of path that they're going to all go down and yeah. what it ends with and how sad that is. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, it's like a, the, the generational matriarchal story yeah. played out in that kitchen. Yeah. Super freaky. David Lynch said when he, when he cast the mom, Jean Bates, he said, she, I guess she was like more of an established actor. She was one of mm. the more established actors on the film. And he said that when she came in, he was like, you're not right for it. Cause you're too beautiful. And we hmm. really need the mom to not be, he was like, you know, when she entered her room, she was really stunning. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, he's like, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not right for this, but it's because you're so beautiful. <laughs> and, but she really wanted to do it. Like she really resonated with the script mm-hmm. and the story and like wanted to get inside this lady. And so he, he put like a wart on her and like gave her a droopy eye and mm-hmm. just kind of did a, just a little, made a yeah. few little adjustments to take her into strangeness a little more. Yeah, it was well, that worked because it, it wouldn't have worked if she'd been beautiful. If she'd right. radiated light when she walked into a room, it would have been the opposite yeah. of what these people are living in for sure. I mean, that house is so scary. Like even with the dogs and like oh, and the, a, the puppies. Like I where know. did the puppies go? I'm like, I oh, where yeah. do they go? They never went anywhere. They just stayed there. They were eating forever. Oh well, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure the puppies ended up being fine. I know it's a little more like, you know, this is a dreamscape and I'm over here like where the puppies go. You're telling me that a whole chicken dinner happened and we never hear the puppies again. But the whole thing is so uh, scary. And can we talk about, oh, let's see me go through my notes because there's so much of it that like the song. Um, oh, okay. So I will say one of the times in the movie where I had a huge reaction was I was like looking at this alien baby wrapped in gauze and I was mm-hmm. like, this dude needs to like fix the gauze. It's been like the baby hasn't moved in like a, a week or something. Cut that gauze off. It's gross looking. I would be crying too all night if I was wrapped in. Oh, he's going to cut the. Okay, good. He's cutting the gauze. Uh, oh, oh dear. Oh, dear. And then at some point I was like, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's sick. 
And then it cuts back and the thing's like covered in, in sores and boils and spitting up. And he was like, oh, it is sick. And I, I like screamed. I, so I clearly was in the zone with it, you know, yeah. as I was like following along, uh, but had a visceral reaction to seeing that poor alien baby thing. My theory is that this movie is about the fear of fatherhood. And David Lynch had just had a kid a few years before he started. Mm-hmm. He wrote it. Now, he's never said that, and that's, just, uh, I'm sure, in, in his sort of genius mind, a very pedestrian interpretation, or maybe very obvious to him, maybe deeper. But I just know as a dad, I, like, I watched the movie for the first time before I was a dad. And then over the last 10 viewings, of course, I've been a dad. My daughter is about to turn seven. And to me, that's, that's the resonating thing. When Mary invites him to dinner, he's almost excited to go because it seems like he really missed her. He says, you never come around right. anymore. Where have you been? And then he finds out, well... I've been having that's your, why. your baby. And not only that, we're a family now and the baby's fucked up and your life just changed, buddy. Right. But there's this really subtle thing where when they get to Henry's apartment, he comes in from, I guess, work, or I guess he's on vacation in the film. But when he sees her, the baby is a monstrous alien. Yeah. That's never really acknowledged in any real way mm-hmm. uh, by normal people in the movie. But when he comes in, Mary is feeding the thing. And mm-hmm. you see just for a minute, Henry look happy. Mm. And then he walks over and lays on the bed and looks in the radiator. And we're going to get to the, the lady in the radiator. But I mean, the radiator, I think in some ways is like all he has. That's like his only hope. But mm-hmm. I resonated with that moment in a way that I had, like every, every time I watch the movie, something a little different happens. But his, his joy, his little brief joy at like, I have a family now and maybe I can do this. Right. Maybe this isn't so scary. Mm. And it's it's sad. It's like a... It's just sad knowing what's coming because that it would soon just turn into abject fear. The kids crying through the night. Mary can't take it. Mary needs to split. And she basically says, she says, you better take good care of this thing. Yeah. And then he's just left to deal with it. And then it's a parent's worst nightmare. I mean, I had moments like this with my daughter where no one, like, it's really up to me if she lives or dies. Right. Right. You got to keep her alive through the night. And you, you know, he puts the thermometer in it. He checks it. It looks okay. And then he turns away. And when he looks mm-hmm. back, it's covered in boils. And he says, yeah. you are sick. Yeah. I really felt like David Lynch really did get across in a very few, a very brief, horrifying couple of minutes, how quickly things can change and that anxiety can percolate mm-hmm. and erupt in a parent mm-hmm. into this nightmarish place where you don't know what to do. Where you feel so alone in it. Super alone. And there was also that moment. I think, I think it happened before the the baby got sick um or before you realized it but the moment when they're laying in bed together and he's looking at her and she's facing away and yeah, he like reaches, he reaches and he to puts touch his, her yes he puts his hand on her shoulder and she like recoils yeah like she's been burned and then he jumps back and it was such a sad. sad moment it yeah. was such a sad moment yeah cool because there's a sense of like maybe they could have had a better shot if they had been on a team right like right. they were both really unhappy and both really scared and they couldn't really find a way back to each other through that. Right. And instead it just made them more isolated from each other. And in the meantime, you got this thing that needs you crying and you, neither of you can really take it. She, you know, she leaves and goes home. He mm-hmm. stares into the radiator and dreams up the lady in the radiator, mm-hmm. which how about that scene? Is that's the girl with the, um, the cheeks? Yeah. Yeah. Have singing about heaven and then killing. Well, so while she's singing, 
Well, this might even be before she sings in heaven, but while she's sort of dancing. We see her twice, right? Yeah. Well, we see her yeah. three times. Three times. Okay. We see her the first time where she just dances and the little sperms are falling, mm-hmm. which obviously the, the signal being mm-hmm. the, the seed that you, the, the way that you made this life. And then she right. starts stepping on them. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of giggly the whole time. It's it's very creepy. It's yeah, definitely it's creepy. Super creepy. And uh, is she telling Henry you could kill the kid and be free, or is she a part of his subconscious that's saying I should have stepped, I should have you know snuffed this out before I did it, mm-hmm. and now I have to live with it? But that but then she goes away. The second time we see her, she sings in heaven, which is a very weird song, but in its own way, really beautiful. It says in mm-hmm. heaven, and and the and the song is. A dream, the song is a, a hope think for Henry, which is in heaven, everything's fine. I've got all my good things and or you've got all your good things and I've got mine in heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? The opposite of his life right now. Yeah. It's all yeah. he has. All he has is that radiator. Even when he looks out his goddamn window, it's a brick wall. Oh God. This is dep- this is tough. <laughs> this is really tough. I honestly when David Lynch talks about these kinds of things, he talks about them as beautiful. And I, without trying to sound pretentious or like I'm trying to imitate him, I really get what he's saying. You know, he mm-hmm. talks about how when he was, when they basically filmed it all in like a house that mm-hmm. the, the AFI owned and they basically lived there for four years. The room that Henry's apartment was filmed in was in the m- middle of a big living room. They just built a set. And by the way, everything you see in the movie, David Lynch built. He made all of that. Yeah, I saw special effects and he got credit for that. And I was pretty impressed. That's pretty fucking impressive. That was very impressive. Like the stuff he yeah. built. So anyway, they built Henry's room in a big living room. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually lived in that room. He didn't have anywhere to live. He, they were all so broke. And he's like, wow. he describes Henry's room as cozy. He's like, I love Henry's room. You know, Henry's room is like a place he could go. Even Henry's nightstand where a normal potted plant would be. There's no pot. It's just a mound of dirt. Of dirt. With like uh, what looks like a dead plant growing out of it. Yes. And David Lynch is like, I think I actually just thought it was a beautiful room. I thought it was a a cozy room. I loved Henry's room. I slept in Henry's room. I felt a little bit like like this movie to me was dark and disturbing. um, But it was as if. Like I like dark and disturbing things. Give me, give me a, give me a true crime podcast where you know a woman in a small town is murdered or something. I'm into it. I'll listen to it. Right, dark and disturbing. But this felt like being trapped inside the mind of the perpetrator of what is dark and disturbing. Like I, it was so claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, I like was like, give me some light, give me some warmth, give me some hope, and it was like, nope. We're not going to do it. I I was upset when he was when she was stepping on the sperm babies yeah. or whatever they were. I was like, oh, God, don't kill it. I don't know why I was attached to it. But it was just so. And then later he throws them against the wall. Yeah. Oh. Well, because he so wakes hard. up and they're all in his bed. Yeah, I you don't know? like it. I don't like it. Get him out of the bed. How about the mysterious, sexy, across the hall neighbor? <laughs> Who, by the way, yeah. I want to say her name too. Wonderful actress uh, played by Judith Anna Roberts. She plays her her character is beautiful girl across the hall. I had a few notes on her. One, my first one was she needs to close her shirt up. You're going to answer the the hallway door. Just just close that shirt up a little. Lady. Well, she was a seductress. I know. Um, and then, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be in character for her. To it be wouldn't be modest. in character if she had been modest. That's true. Um, I felt bad for him 
Well, first, first of all, I wrote longest uh, sex break, the longest uninterrupted kiss ever, because their kiss is just mouth to mouth, no, no breaks, just slow submersion into whatever pool of whatever they were in. <laughs> just well, like, no, uh, yeah. no stopping, which was an uncomfortable, unsexy for me, an uncomfortable and unsexy version of kissing. So yeah. even the thing that should have in some ways could have been a like, okay, well, there's at least some like sexual chemistry being exchanged. It was like, oh, this is awkward too. This is also awkward. But then the sad moment rang through when later he sees her with another guy mm-hmm. and he just looks so lonely and crushed again. Yeah. You know? Well, he's a fool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that scene, I definitely do not think was designed to be sexy. They're basically trying to swallow each other. They're bo- they're both looking for immersion into something else to escape whatever their deal is. So it's not a relief. It's just more heartbreak. And then they slowly dissolve together into like a pool of milk and they, they, they disappear, you know, mm-hmm. they disappear in each other. And actually that sequence is really fascinating because I, I think Henry was like super morally conflicted about that liaison Mm -hmm. and that's when he goes into the dream where he sees the lady in the radiator again and he goes to her and then he goes behind that little curtain thing and his head pops off yeah and the kid picks it up and takes it to the uh pencil factory where they take a they take parts of his head and turn into the eraser which i love that whole sequence it's so scary that whole world the boy and there's the guy the bellman paul and then the boss comes in he hits the, Get the that's the where count- he hits the thing so many times. Behind the counter, the Paul. Yeah. And, you know, that dude just, that, that, how about that pencil machine? Just like all of the industrial, I think all the shots there are so great. The sounds are so great. And then he, he draws a line. He uses the new eraser mm-hmm. and he says that, and he doesn't even say it's great. He's like, this'll do, this is fine. And then when yeah. he brushes that, when he he gathers up the dust from the eraser, which is Henry's head, and when mm-hmm. he sweeps that away, and how that shot turns into mm-hmm. outer space almost, mm-hmm. it's just amazing that they made this in like the early seventies with no money. I just wow, yeah, that is impressive. It's amazing. That, that is impressive because I've seen art films. In fact, the Criterion Edition, which I'm again pimping, they don't pay me to say this, although they can start motherfuckers. Sorry, earmuffs. Um, <laughs> it comes with all of David Lynch's short films. He made a bunch of short films before Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. And they're very Eraserheady, but they also mm-hmm. look like shitty art films. Like they look like they look like a kid's learning how to make movies. Mm-hmm. To me, Eraserhead is a fully born movie. I would agree with that. I, I mean, I, I I didn't my discomfort with it was I was immersed in it. Do you know what I mean? So, but I think so, that, I think that's why it succeeds. I think yeah. if it was hokey, if it was hokier, then it you wouldn't, wouldn't be immersed as affected. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it was it was it was. I would say the first fifteen minutes and the last fifteen minutes were hardest for me. It was harder. It was harder for me. It was hard for me to get into it because I was trying to figure out what I was watching, and then I kind of like let go and allowed it to just be. Then I was fully immersed. Uh, very upset, but fully immersed. And then the last 15 minutes, it just got so insane. And I think my internal, like, you know, like, please give me something that 
will make my heart feel at least a little bit happy. And I was just like, please, please, anything. No, there's nothing. Okay. And I had to just kind of like power through because it was so uncomfortable. I think my, I think my threshold for discomfort is uh, lower than maybe yours. I don't think so. I mean, I, I find the movie really disturbing. I just, I'm interested in that place. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like movies that make me feel good. I'm not like mm-hmm. a, a sicko, but I don't find, you know, I, listen, I'll watch Friends <laughs> every day, all day. And they're, the chemistry and beauty of those people and what they achieved with that show, I think is just beautiful and masterful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't find it ultimately very interesting in, in terms of like, what do we do? It, it doesn't ask any big questions that I find right. interesting about it's anything. A, it's a celebration of friendship more than it is an exploration of something. It's not an exploration of anything, really. Right. Yeah, it's like it's like these six people, quirky things happen to them, and this is how they deal with them, and you fall in love with them. And when right. you fall in love with characters, anything can happen, and you are you love it. You love mm-hmm. them. And it's that's no joke. You can't just create that out of nothing. Like right. So many things had to be in place for that to be what it was. But it asks no interesting questions to me. And that's just me. And Again, I'm not judging it. I love it. And I don't think that you have to like watch or get or raise your head to be a deep person or any. There's nothing like that. I do. But I do think that um, I, I do think that your visceral reaction is actually even proof of it. In fact, I, I, I agree you're, with that. You're going to hate this. You're going to hate it. Yeah. I think that in the next maybe 18 months, you should watch it again and see you what happens. Come around. I will say I will say that this conversation about thinking about it in the terms of fatherhood and of 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 hoping for or wishing you could have this family unit or this hope or this thing that that you have a glimpse of and then you lose and then you're and then you're worse off than you were before and all of that resonates as very very relatable you mm-hmm. know and 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 tragic like i find henry to be really he, he, both his circumstances his choices and just his life to be really um tragic so that that part of it really resonates for me and more so now that we've been talking about it. Um, and, and then it's just in this like uncomfortable world where visually I'm seeing things that are really uncomfortable. Like what is the thing he has? Like, I think he's going to propose to her. He gets out this tiny box yeah. and there's like a, oh, there's like a half circle. I'm like, is that a weird looking ring? And then it's eventually a it's a worm that like has some sort of claymation yeah. jumping through the dirt thing. And I'm like, what? is happening i thought it was a weird looking ring and i was like well they have a weird looking baby maybe that's a weird looking ring maybe we are maybe and 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 then the claymation thing and i do you have do you, can you explain that, that part I, to me? I kept thinking he was going to feed it to the kid because the mm. kid would the kid wouldn't eat baby food mm-hmm. so when he's when he's like about to come back into his apartment and he sort of checks to make sure he still has it right my my feeling was like he like got that from some sort of like black market like what is it you know mm-hmm. and then he uh, um, I, I'm with you. That scene's super weird, but I'll tell you what I love about it is the lighting when he opens that little box on the wall and mm-hmm. the, just the way it's lit, like the way that shadow comes down, he puts it just right where the light is. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I was really, because I've seen the movie so many times, you were, you were watching it like, what the fuck's happening? What the fuck's happening? I know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. I don't, maybe, I may not know mm-hmm. why it's happening. So I was able to actually, you were leaning forward and into it. I was kind of mm-hmm. leaning and talking about just sort of like, emotional posturing i was leaning back and sort of letting it wash and like i was able to focus more on lighting the performances the set pieces Mm -hmm. i'm trying to like remember when i first saw it 
I think I probably honestly felt similar to you. Like, I think I honestly didn't like it, but then I, you know, when it's two weeks later and I'm still thinking about it, right. I pay attention to that because right. Right. something's something's going on. Some, something's kind of transference has occurred, right? Which doesn't happen in movies all the time. It's it's rare, actually. I think part of it is that I think when movies spell things out for you so easily, your brain is not required to work at yeah, all. Totally. So it just goes in one ear and goes out the other. And I spent this entire movie trying to figure it out. Yeah. And trying to like find where I could like latch on and stay grounded. And there were parts of it. There were parts of it for sure where I could. They were short. They were like, they were short lived in moments where I was like, okay, now I'm centered. Oh, they're having an argument. She's leaving the baby. Cool. And then it gets weird again. Or the, or the, the dinner, you know, there's different parts where I was like, okay, I get this. Um, But so I spent an hour and a half with my, every, everything in my brain firing off, trying to figure out where I, where I was and what was happening and feeling really uncomfortable while I was doing it. So my brain is still trying to figure it out, figure it out. And so in, in that way, I think that it is a, a, a quite a successful movie. It certainly more made more of an impression than than the ones that that spell everything out so that you don't have to like put any effort. And there's a place for those films. I mean, there's a place for there's a place for a McDonald's cheeseburger. Now, is that good for you? No. Is it something you can eat that'll it has some nutrients in it? Sure. Should you be eating it? Maybe not. Should you carve out some time for some good food? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think good films are like that, you know, mm-hmm. especially ones that challenge you. And again, not to harp on it, but I think if you did a second viewing, some of those things that were encumbering about this first time, won't, right. they won't be in place. And maybe right. you could actually have a little more fun with it. Um, that makes sense. And maybe watch it with with like a buddy. Like maybe in 18 months, me and you can watch it together somehow. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. And maybe we can get uh, Isabel and Joe to do it, to do it too. <laughs> I don't know Maybe. if my wife, honestly, I don't think she'll ever watch it. I just, she, she has a very, you know, she sees kind of what it is and she doesn't want to go into that dream. And I, yeah, I get it. Okay. Let me, so let me give this so like to wrap up the film. So he, so he comes out of the dream where his head is the eraser, which I imagine was really scary for Henry. Mm-hmm. Tim Henry has a sense to me in the whole film of like something's happening to him and he can't, he doesn't know what's going on. Right. He looks, he's very scrutinizing. He, he looks deeply into things. I get the sense he's really trying to figure out he knows something's happening, but he doesn't know what it is. That's super scary. So at the end, he wakes up from that scary dream and that's when he cuts the gauze and then you sort of find out the kid doesn't really have any skin. He basically cuts the gauze. It opens up to just the kid's organs. And, and I think in a pus comes out. And I think in a really frightful moment, he, and I think he's trying to maybe oh, yeah. put the kid out of its misery too. He basically mm-hmm. stabs the organs and it, it kills the kid. I just felt like this moment has to stop. That's what I felt like Henry right. was feeling like, uh, like this thing's in pain. I'm in pain. This has got to stop. I've got to make this stop. And then, and then he can't even it. look at it as it's unfolding, you know? Yeah. And, you know, a bunch of nightmarish things happen. He sees the head elongates into the shadows and then he sees the head really big and then he sees the planet again. And then you see the the man from the planet mm-hmm. crying Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy's in pain. The, the gears are exploding. Something went mm-hmm. wrong mm-hmm. with the experiment. And the, the movie ends with uh, Henry seeing the lady in the radiator and she opens up her hands to him and then you just see nothing but bright white light at the end. Mm-hmm. So do you see that? I mean, you could see that as hopeful, like release from, you know, the misery of fatherhood or... Did he, is he in heaven? I mean, what, what do you think that's all about? I mean, I think he's, I think he's in, 
a new place, heaven, sure, we can call it that. It was it was bright. I mean, she was not particularly what I would picture to be in my heaven. But I do think that the fact that there was light there for the first time, like bright light that you couldn't ignore, uh, is hopeful for sure. The background of my computer screen for the mm-hmm. longest time was that girl. And it said, mm-hmm. in heaven, everything's fine. And I had mm-hmm. people who would come right with me who would basically be like, you have to take that off your computer before I get there. They just couldn't <laughs> even see it. They just couldn't even it look at really it. It was really disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just off. It was like it was like worse than something that was made to be scary. It's just it's just off-putting enough to feel so unsettling. Can you guess where the exterior shots were were done? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, it was all so dark. It was like could have been on a lot. It could have been anywhere. Yeah. Been that was that was Los, that was downtown Los Angeles. Yeah. which I always had the feeling of the movie about, I knew that David Lynch lived in Philadelphia and Philadelphia looks like, that's what Philadelphia looks like. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. been there. It's very Mm -hmm. dark and bleak. And uh, Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of amazing how they, like the shots of him walking by all those big rusted tanks. And I've never really seen that part of Los, I've never seen that in Los Angeles. I obviously don't live there. I just travel there a lot for, for work, but that was new to me. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, is there still shit like that in downtown LA? I don't Like, I like mean, deserted looking bleak pipes? Yeah. And- yeah. I think in parts of it, I don't go to, I don't go downtown. I mean, LA is so big. It's such a, you know, I haven't been to the, you know, to the beach in LA in like two years. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, but yeah. we do have a friend that lives downtown, but, but there's a part that's more kind of up and coming and a little more gentrified and there's, there's food trucks and fun stuff, you know, that's the part yeah. of downtown I'm more familiar with. But I, but for sure, I think that there are bleak parts of, of downtown and of LA. In a dream world, what would uh, the situation be like for you with uh, alien babies or however you want to take this question? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, in my dream world. Or in a dream world, how would your heaven be just fine? Or what is whatever the whatever I would, comes I, to I, mind? I could run off into the sunset with the lady in the radiator. No problem. All right. I'm sure we'd have a lot to talk about. If I was Henry, I would... I don't know how much differently I'd react, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. life feels like you're a passive observer of the things that occur in your life and you feel powerless to stop them. And all you can kind of do is get carried by it and try to mm-hmm. survive it. I don't know if I would have been able to raise that kid. I don't, I don't think I would have been able to marry Mary. Mm-mm. I would have tried to just be responsible for the kid uh, with my own autonomy and and not muck it up with all the forcing but you know what's interesting is when she's crying and the mom basically says you have to, you have to get married at once you know it's very mm-hmm. puritanical and mary's crying she's like is that okay with you henry the getting married and he's fine with it yeah it's like he was like sure maybe you don't mm-hmm. have your mom like sniff my neck in the corner of the house <laughs> maybe let's just create some boundaries with your mother maybe let's get some chickens that don't explode and bleed and dance oh god oh yeah i forgot it danced it like, dances a little bit oh it does dance and everybody just stares at them. So I have a, so my version of the, in a dream world for you, it's, it's a little take on, it's a little different, but okay. it's a little more grounded in reality. But what if David Lynch called you and wanted to work with you? Mm-hmm. Now I've, again, I've given you a wonderful gift because now you can say to David Lynch when he calls, 
well, you know, I've, I've seen your earliest work, David, and it's really, (laughs) you could, you know, you do the nice thing where you find something nice to say, like you're not going to tell David Lynch, I hated the movie more than any movie ever. He'll hear that unfortunately when he hears this podcast, but you could say to David, the movie really stuck with me, David. Now, are you willing to work with him? And what would that be like for you? I would for sure be willing to work with him if uh, my creativity was a part of it as well. I wouldn't want to work with him if I was taking dance notes of how to move my body and how to move my face. That well, would I be will a say, I think they worked it out together. I think they yeah. did it well, together and agreed on what it needed to be. Right. That I love. Uh, so in a, in a dream world, I, Dave, David Lynch called me and said, I've had this film. I'd love for you to be a part of it. I would say, absolutely. And I would hope that it would be, if I were to take something out of this film that I would want to explore more, I would want to explore the family dynamics from Mary and her family. Like I found that to be so disturbing. And, and like, we just, we just scratched the surface of what's happening in that family. You yeah. Know? There's a, there's a whole movie there. Yeah, exactly. So that's the movie I would want to, I would want to tell. And, uh, and then it would, you know, be insanely successful. Uh, oh yeah. It would change the world. Oh yeah. Um, and then I would just be done with it and come back to this podcast and live a happy life. I will recommend to you and our listeners, I know you're probably not itching to watch another David Lynch film, and I understand some time. Time is needed. Yeah, but there you is a, just let it sit. There is a movie called Mulholland Drive that I do mm-hmm. think you'd like. It's it's more linear. It's more traditional. Mm-hmm. It's Naomi Watts and Laura Haring, and it's about Los Angeles, and it's about actresses in Los Angeles. Mm, okay. uh, uh, Justin Thoreau is in it. It's strange, but it's not as dis- it's not disturbing. It's right. it's it's not in black and white. It's not an art film from the seventies. It's a right. it's a David Lynch with a big budget. He's he's now the date. Well, because you know what happened after Eraserhead is he got uh, the Elephant Man, which I believe Anthony I believe won won Oscars. Wow! So he made a big, huge commercial film after uh, Eraserhead because of Eraserhead. I think I think Mel Brooks who produced the Elephant Man. Uh, got a hold of David Lynch because of Eraserhead. He saw Eraserhead and was like, "Who's this motherfucker?" Right. And that you know, that's one of Anthony Hopkins' first roles. And John yeah. Hurt, of course, as the Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. So the movie really opened some doors for him. So by the time you get to Mulholland Drive, he's been around a while. He's been he's around. Done. He's, he's learned. learned. He's yeah. learned. So yeah. I, I do recommend Mulholland Drive. Now I did watch it with my wife. She was willing to watch that one. She did not understand it and she hated it. So okay, <laughs> take what you will right. from that. I feel like Is- Isabel and I might be in the same. I think our Venn diagrams may be overlapping quite a bit. But I will say this: I, I, I did hate this movie. But my hatred of this movie was was based on my discomfort watching it. And and I will say that I am glad that I had this reason to watch the film. Yeah. And I really, especially after this discussion, really do appreciate parts of it in a way that I don't think I would have if we hadn't talked this through. So I am thankful that um, you suggested this movie. I'm I'm wondering if, till we have this convo in between when you watched the movie this morning and us doing this episode, if you thought I might have been a psychopath. I, I, Absolutely not. That's why I wanted, that's why I was excited to talk to you because, um, because I was like, I don't like, uh, 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 there was so much about this that I just, like, I, I feel like I needed a shower after. I definitely had a hug, you know, and, and I knew it's one of your top favorite, favorite films. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got to understand 
I got to understand what he sees or what he's feeling that that I couldn't see because I was so uncomfortable. And I feel like I feel like we figured that out. Okay, cool. I'm I'm actually not against watching it in six to twelve months from now. Okay, well, listen, we'll put a pin in that, and we will come mm-hmm. back and revisit, and maybe we'll do a uh, Red part two, and see if there are any new revelations. We could do a we could do a watch along. That would be fun. So, yeah, a watch along with commentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds fun. Um, well, where can everyone find us on the stuff? Well. Uh, people can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at Katie and Clint, or you guys can email us at A to Z Clint and Katie at gmail.com. That's A to Z Clint and Katie at gmail.com. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next time. Bye. Bye. A to Z with Clint and Katie is recorded in Los Angeles, California and Nashville, Tennessee, and is produced by Clint Wills. Consider joining us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month for access to exclusive content. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Katie and Clint or send us an email to A to Z Clint and Katie at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.